0: Good morning, good morning. The day before Chris Gore gets here, you might want to pray for me. Him and I are having a table tennis match in my basement. He was the New Zealand, like, under-18 champion or something like that. So uh, if I come in a little more humbled on Sunday, it's probably not the Lord. It's probably something else. All right, you guys ready? We're going to start a new series called Galatians and the Gospel of Grace. And so I've been uh, looking forward to diving into Galatians. Hope you guys have some fun. So I want to uh, share a testimony. This one uh, came in. So I was at a conference about two weeks ago, and some people were watching online, and this is what they wrote in. Um, she had her, so this is a the person on the phone's relating this, so it's the, um, second person, third person. Anyway, uh, while she told me that her left ankle was broken in 2008, and she had surgery, they put pins and screws into the ankle, she wore a walking boot, had been using a power chair because of severe arthritis all over her body. They came across Andrew Womack, started applying the principles of healing, March 1st, 2011, she will completely healed of all arthritis, all of her body. She had no pain. Awesome. But in 2016, the screws didn't hold and ruptured under the skin. A boil came up, and she had to have it lanced twice. With round, three rounds of antibiotics, two more heads of screws surfaced, now after believing God. Uh, so I was speaking, she heard, I gave it a word of knowledge. Someone was experiencing metal being removed from their ankle. She reached down and touched her ankle. Yes, the metal was gone. There was no pain, and she is walking perfectly doing everything she wants to. Uh, she's 73, her husband's 75, they've ever been healthier, happier, or wealthier. So, uh, yeah, yay, God, awesome. How many of you guys know the power wasn't in the word of knowledge? The power was that the word of knowledge got them on the rise of Jesus, and Jesus did all the good stuff. And so that's what we do here uh, around Zion, is we get people's eyes on Jesus and good stuff happens. And so if you're wondering for the magic formula, I just gave it to you. Get your eyes on Jesus, good things happen. So we'll, uh, to be continued today. And so uh, we started this book on uh, the series on Galatians. And a lot of times people, it's called the, uh, the gospel of grace when I'm calling this series. A lot of times when people will use the word gospel, they're not really using it in the way the Bible uses it. They're talking about like gospel music. Uh, gospel is not just a style of music, okay? It's much more powerful than that. Or it's not just another word synonymous with truth. Yeah, that's the gospel truth, okay? Here's what the word gospel means. For this, it means good news. So if the gospel that you're hearing doesn't sound like good news, it might not be the good news. It might be a false gospel. We're going to talk about the false gospel. Um, here's how they translated that word uh, 300 years ago. The good, glad, merry news that makes a man want to dance and leap and spin for joy. So we had a, a guy who used to come here. He doesn't come here anymore, and it's not because of this incident. But he, um, So he had a friend over who was super into the lottery. And so, <laughs> so they, um, they, they taped the lottery that night, and then uh, his friend, so, you know, so the thing already went, and his friend went out and bought the winning ticket afterwards and switched the ticket with them, and at 2 a.m. they remembered to watch the lotto, and so they, uh, they you know, they put it on there, and so this friend thinks he has the winning lotto ticket, because they, you know, they've they switched, it's too late, it's not really the winning lotto ticket, right? So he switches, and it's like 7, se- 7, hey, 7, 10, 10, 10, you know, Oh, three. You know, he gets on there. And so this man is, uh, you know, he thinks he's won the lot. I mean, a horrible joke. Horribly cruel joke. Like, like kind of funny, but not funny. What is this man doing? He's dancing and leaping and spinning for joy because he has just heard good news that he won some money. I got some good news for you. The gospel is way better than you winning the lotto. I hope you believe it by the end of this series. All right. So um, that's the response to hearing the good news. When you hear good news, news, by definition, is something that has already happened. It's not a whole bunch of things that you must now do. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's good. It's not a list of things that must be done. All that must be done for man to live in perfect union with Jesus has already been done for you. That is the good news. The gospel is not a call to do something, but it's the announcement that who, the one who stood for all, Jesus Christ, has done it all on our behalf. So turn me uh, to Galatians chapter 1. Paul is writing to a church that he brought the gospel to, and he just takes off the gloves. A lot of times he's like, grace and peace to you from Paul, da-da-da, I'm an apostle. And like he's, no, no, he just comes out swinging. Okay? And he is, he's angry. He's irritated at them. Okay, So listen to uh, Paul in Galatians 1.6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I want you to notice throughout the book of Galatians, the term gospel and grace of Christ are used interchangeably. The gospel is the grace of Christ. When you're experiencing the grace of Christ, you're experiencing the good news of Jesus, okay? Verse 6, let me read it again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort, distort the gospel of Christ. The Living Bible says they're throwing you into confusion. So how are they doing that? How are they throwing them into confusion? Here's how the Amplified says it. They're perverting, twisting, changing, and distorting the gospel of Christ. Let's go back to the English Standard Version, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary. It's interesting that like some of the false religions had an angel come and preach to them a gospel other than one. Like, like Mormonism, the angel Moroni came, like... Even if I, like, didn't, how did we miss this part? You know, even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be cursed. Guys, this is, like, so strong language here. Um, as we've said before, and now I say it again, if anyone's preaching no a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be cursed. So Paul, he's, like, dispensing with the pleasantry, and he's quickly delivering this stinging rebuke against anyone who had preached the gospel other than the one that Paul preached, and so you got to imagine—I imagine the Galatians—they're hearing this read at church, meeting, or Maybe they showed up a little late. You know, maybe worship ran a little long that Sunday. They're getting there, and all of a sudden, this letter is being read. Like, I imagine they got their attention. Like for the rest of the letter, what is Paul saying in this thing? He is just coming out, "Bam, you guys are cursed if you believe." Like, man. So, um, has anyone ever had food poisoning? Isn't that just a wonderful thing? Isn't that just yeah? Oh, wow. A majority of people, yeah. And so, I remember there was this steak restaurant called Mountain Jacks in uh, in uh, in Michigan. And so I went there for some special occasion, and, um, you know, it's about midnight, and I'm realizing something ain't right down south here, right? Like something, something's going bad, and so I will spare you the graphic details, but let's just say I lost 12 pounds that night the hard way, okay? I was going to write a book about it called How to Lose Weight Without Diet or Exercise, but I didn't think anyone would really like the diagrams in it, okay, so... And the thing is, is so, you know, I let them know because I, I didn't want other people to get poisoned from this thing. So I emailed them in. I'm like, hey, you know, I lost 12 pounds the hard way. It's been terrible. I'm up all night. And they wanted to give me a gift certificate to eat there again. I was like, <laughs> I was like no, thank you. you know, I'll, ta- I'll take the refund instead of uh, chances with my life, right? And so here's the deal. Many people are going to churches looking for good food. But they're getting food that looks good but is rancid for their souls, And they're getting spiritually sick, and they're eventually giving up on God, even though they never encountered God in the first place. Guys, the problem isn't with the church today. The problem isn't with God. The problem is that many are perverting, twisting, changing, and distorting the gospel of Christ. One of the things they were doing in Paul's day, they're saying, yeah, you're accepted by Christ. Like, there's nothing you can do to save yourselves, but you still need to follow the law of God. And so one of the things they really uh, um, honed in on was circumcision. We could pull up that diagram of circumcision. I'm kidding. There's no diagrams of circumcision. <laughs> of course not. How could you ever think so? So here's Paul's response. Here's what Paul's response. let go to Galatians 5.11. I'm just kind of painting a picture. We're going we're gonna to really nail the false gospel here. But Paul says this in Galatians 5.11. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Do we need to bring up that diagram? What, what Paul, what's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, why stop with circumcision? Why just cut a tip of it off? Why not chop the whole thing off? He's saying, go big or go home. If, and If you guys are going to circumcise, you might as well do the whole thing. Uh, here's what he says in Galatians 3. Let's, let's kind of take it one through five. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? Like, how, how is your thinking so confused? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul's overwhelmed if they're abandoning grace for legalism. He's like, why would you guys leave the grace of God for legalism? He had depicted the work of Christ so graphically to them, it was as if they saw Jesus portrayed. They they clearly understood. He did this on my behalf. I don't have to die. He took all this for me. If a person truly understands the message of the cross, and he understands grace. Jesus didn't just give you a token sacrifice, and it gets us in the door, but now it's up to us. No, he paid for you the whole way through. There's no sacrifice, no amount of effort, discipline, Spiritual disciplines, sinlessness, there's, there's no amount that we can do to add or replace the sacrifice of Christ. Christ does not just get you in the door and then you're on the performance plan. Preaching that our own holiness is required to receive from God is voiding the sacrifice of Christ. So we hear sermons like, you need to pay the price. No, you need to believe that the price was paid. And if you have to pray to get there, pray to get there. But your prayer isn't up there impressing God. Jesus rose from the dead. Can't you even get out of bed an hour early? Legalism works. I'm not saying it's not a good idea to get up. I'm just saying God's not getting excited that you're getting up early. you getting up early may help you grab hold of what he's already paid for. How are we doing? You're not desperate enough. you got to be desperate. Nowhere in the Bible is desperation a condition for receiving from God. Faith was. You aren't hungry enough. When are you ever hungry enough? I'm so tired of the hunger teaching you got to be hungry. you got to be hungry. What's it do? It has you continually looking inward to meet qualifications for God. That's a road for depression. Good to have fun with that. Verse 2, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you were desperate enough? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you got enough sin out of your life? If you want the anointing to flow, you've got to be holy. I'm not saying it's not a good idea to be holy. Because when you sin, you're confused, you invite in the devil, it makes it harder to receive from God. Sin changes the way you feel about God, it does not change the way God feels about you. Sin does not change your relationship with God, it changes your relationship with the devil. You become a slave to whomever you obey. How are we doing? Do did you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing my faith? The obvious answer is it's faith alone that, repr, that produced this dramatic change in them. He's saying, if you started by faith, how are you so stupid to think now you're going to continue in the things of God by your awesome performance? Come on. Right. Verse 3, are you so foolish? I mean, listen to this language. It's like, slap, slap. Like, the, the Galatians, are got to be like, oh my gosh. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now perfected by the flesh? In other words, are you trying to obtain your goal of godliness and moving in spiritual gifts and doing all these awesome, awesome things by your human effort? Or by faith in Christ? Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in, fi- in vain, if it was indeed in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Works of the law has always been man's attempt to please God. Let me read verse 5 again. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The point he's making, anyone whose God has used hasn't deserved it. Remember, God hasn't had anybody qualified working for Him yet, and you and I ain't gonna be the first. He only uses people who aren't qualified, but they're qualified because of His Son. I had someone ask me this week; um, they, they emailed in a question: Why do you think your church sees so many miracles? I mean, I, th- I think, and in, in, uh, you know, I think they're th- waiting for us. Well, you know, we we've got these great programs. We pray. We, you know, we get, you know, no, no. I mean, uh, the answer was real simple: We get people's eyes on Jesus, and good things happen. You know what's the power of God to those who believe? It's the gospel. That's Romans 1. It's the gospel that's the power of God. It's the good news that points to Christ as healer, Christ as savior. Whatever you need, it's Christ. It's not prayer that's the power of God to them who believe. I'm not saying prayer is not powerful. I'm just saying prayer is not powerful if you don't have your heart and the gospel in your eyes on Jesus. Otherwise, you're just having many words thinking you're going to wear God out like the unjust judge. I had somebody uh, uh, ask me about miracles, and they said, um, do you guys do all-night prayer meetings? I remember my wife, and I said, no, at least not on purpose. I mean, sometimes God spontaneously gives you one, and you're up all night. Do um, you guys do corporate fasting? No, we try not to. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, uh, I'm like again, I, if you want to fast and God's leading you to fast, do it. I mean, I, you guys know my favorite fast is the Darius fast in the Bible. Remember, he fasted all night because Daniel was in Lion's Den. So yeah, we do the Darius fast around here a lot. Oh, that was better than that. Come on, you guys. What, are they, you know, what, is, what does legalism do? Legalism is focusing on what do I have to do to get God to move? Well, what are you guys doing? What are we doing? We're getting people's eyes on Jesus. And when that happens, guys, there's a gift of faith, but all faith is a gift. It comes from looking at Jesus. And when I see him, it's like, thank you, Lord. I'll, I'll receive that. I see what you've done. Anyone who claims to be used of God because of their great holiness is either deceived or a deceiver. I'm so tired of hearing about people's four-hour prayer lives. I'm like, why is it that everybody knows that you're praying four hours a day? Maybe you should get some more humility so everybody doesn't know that you're having a four-hour prayer life. Amen. All right. Anyone who claims to be used of God because of his great holiness is either deceived or a deceiver. Don't hear me making fun of people who have a four-hour prayer life. Okay, I mean, I, I, That's awesome if it's actually praying. If it's actually spending time in intimacy with the Lord and getting his heart in to clear those things out, rather than disciplining your, your laundry list and wearing God out with your requests. You need to realize Jesus never crusaded against prostitutes, thieves, drunks, or tax collectors. Amen. Boy, the religious person loves to crusade against Republicans, Democrats, prostitutes, thieves, drunks, tax collectors, government officials. I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak up against evil. Jesus made these people his friends. One of the the indictments that the religious group had against him is this man eats with sinners. This guys are friends with the scum of the earth. Oh, man, wouldn't that be an awesome accusation for the church today? The strongest and angriest words from Jesus' mouth in Scripture were against the Pharisees, not against the Romans. The religious people who loved the Bible and loved God, but they told people that come to to come to God by their accept if they were going to get accepted by God, it was going to be through their performance. Guys, this is the message that's at the heart of all religion. It leaves people looking for a good meal, but they're double over in pain, exhausted, wondering why they're spiritually diminishing. Religion is dedicating yourself to the rules and the rituals and the formulas by which you can come to God. There's a reason for devotion. There's a reason for this dedication. It's so that God will be pleased with me and accept me and use me. He says that's filthy rags. It's menstrual rags, according to Isaiah. It's dung, according to uh, Philippians. All religions of the world are the same. There's this distant God that we must reach out to and try to please by obeying his laws written in a book. That's the heart of every religion. And these laws are usually entrusted to the elite of religion, usually in book form, who interpret them to them and let them know what the rules are. All religion, wherever you find it, is man reaching upward, searching for a way to please God, of whom he's kind of afraid. How are we doing? The religious people hated Jesus' message of grace and eventually killed him. He was upra- upsetting their whole system. Religious people trying to please God on their own, followed around Paul, and what did they do? They were perverting, twisting, changing, and distorting the gospel of Christ. There's a group in um, Paul's day uh, called the Pharisees, and they were all about go big or go home. Okay? They spread this false gospel. This isn't a history lesson. I want to just give you a picture. So, because uh, this expression of evil, it, it was so subtle in Jesus' day. It wasn't, I mean, if they were coming out with the Quran and it was like a false religion, it'd be really easy to identify it. But guys, this subtlety is still in the church today. So here's these Pharisees. The, the word Pharisee meant separated ones. What were they separated? They were separating their lives to keeping the law of Moses. Okay, like, like their whole life was, God, we want to be pleasing to you. I mean, what sounds wrong with that, right? I mean, at their heart. I mean, they loved God. They loved the Bible. Their highest value was on the Bible. When a Pharisee was two years old, if you're born in the household of a Pharisee, Uh, The little boy was brought a scroll. They didn't have a printing press back then. They covered the scroll with honey. They'd have him put his fingers in the honey and begin to uh, taste it and say that the law of God is like honey. It's the sweetest thing you could possibly enjoy. I mean, this doesn't sound bad. There's these people helping their kids fall in love with the words of God. When they were four years old, they began to memorize Leviticus. Some of you haven't even read Leviticus yet. (laughs) And they got these four-year-olds memorizing it, right? And then by the time they were 12, they memorized Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in addition to Leviticus, the first five books of the law. At 12 years old, they were given an exam where they were questioned from every kind of angle of it. And if they passed the exam, they were bar mitzvah. They were sons of the commandments, sons of the law. But that was just the beginning of the Pharisee existence. They went on to memorize the Psalms. They went on to memorize all the prophets. They had the entire Old Testament memorized. Not only that, but what the different rabbis said about all those passages. The Pharisees, they wanted to please God. I mean, they're dedicating their lives to his book. What could be wrong with that, right? And if that wasn't enough, and on top of their own laws, they added these things called fence laws. So it's like, we don't want to break the Bible's laws, so let's add our own laws so we don't even get close to breaking the Bible's laws. Okay? They were man-made laws that provided a protective fence. So the devout person, they wouldn't even come close to the law of Moses because they were too busy obeying these fence laws, Right? And so, uh, so it would be so easy if they just read the law of God and said, how shall we keep this? And the answer would be simple, love. Like that, that's the answer to how to keep the law, is love. Love God, love people. But um, religion makes things complicated. How many you guys realize that? There, there's nothing simple with religion. So they didn't ask the question, how shall we keep it? Here's the question they asked. How shall we not break it? Notice, that's subtle. That's a subtle shift away from it. And so uh, this led to long discussions about things like, how do you not break the Sabbath? They should have said, how do you you keep the Sabbath? And it would have been, love God, love your neighbor, have fun. Simple. That's how you keep the Sabbath. But that's not what they asked. They said, how do you not break the Sabbath? And so they would would have things like this. You cannot drag a chair across the floor on the Sabbath because it disturbs the dust, and that means you're plowing on the Sabbath day. What are they doing? They're putting a fence around it because they don't want to work on the Sabbath, and so they don't even want to get close to it. Uh, You must not look in the mirror on the Sabbath day. You might see a gray hair. This is literal. I'm not making these up. You you must not look in the mirror on the Sabbath day. You might see a gray hair and pluck it out. Then you would have engaged in the work of hairdressing on the Sabbath day. (laughs) There was a bunch of uh, Pharisees that were called the bleeding Pharisees. And so the law says, thou shall not commit adultery. So these geniuses says, well, if you never will look at a woman, um, it's going to be difficult for you to commit adultery, which I guess is kind of true, unless you're doing some kind of like blind miming. I I don't know how it would even work there. And so the thought was, you won't commit adultery if you never look at a woman. So here's what they did. If they're walking down the street and they saw a woman, they would close their eyes. And so there was a lot of trees in Israel, and they would run into trees trying to avoid looking at a woman. This is true. And they had scars and cuts on their forehead, and they were known as the bleeding Pharisees, and they were revered for this because they were obeying the fence laws. So Jesus comes, and he says this in John 5:39: You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's these scriptures that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have lives. See, the point of the Bible is to meet the author. (laughs) So they took the words of God, but they rejected God, the God of the word. And so they had the words of the covenant without the covenant relationship. And so they had the book, but they didn't have God's relationship. So I remember um, my son Wesley. So he's out of state. I got permission to use this illustration. So uh, when when we first moved here, we lived in this house in Powell. And uh, one day, Wesley um, posted a list of rules outside of his room. I'd like to read these to you. It was titled, Rules for My Room at the top. Number one, obey all rules. Oh, by the way, he's like nine years old when he wrote this. So Joshua would have been about 10. Evan would have been about four or five. So number one, obey all rules. Number two, obey rule number one. (laughs) Number three, in my room, you do what I say. Number four, in my room, no jumping on the bed. Number five, in my room, no touching my stuff. Number six, in my room, no taking my stuff. Number seven, in my room, there is no annoying me. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight, in my room, you must ask to come in. Number nine, in my room, there is no eating except by me. (laughs) And I love this. At the bottom, it said, exception, mom and dad, friends, cousins, guests, etc., It pretty much excludes everyone except Joshua and Evan, like these only two brothers, right? And I want you to get this. Joshua and Evan could obey all those rules and still not experience love. Okay, the Pharisees were all about the rules, but they missed the love. Okay, it's like saying, listen, if you kiss a woman woman long enough, she'll love you. No, 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 no. You have it backwards. First the love, then the kiss. You don't get a list that says hug your wife at 10, kiss her at noon. No, 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 no. First the love, then the hug, then the kiss. They'd the Pharisees had memorized the times and hugs and moments of the kiss, but they did not know who they were talking to. They totally missed the author of the book by focusing on the book. Guys, there's churches today where it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. They're so afraid that the Holy Spirit might show up and have something that's not decently in an order. Have you read decently in order and in the Bible? He's like, hey, if someone's prophesying... Boy, so there's actually prophecy in the church. And someone else gets the word, the one guy beats quiet, and the other one stands up and gives it to you. They got messaged in tongues and interpretations of tongues. They're singing in tongues. Peter's preaching in the middle of, of, uh, of his sermon in, uh, at the house of Cornelius. They get filled with the Spirit, begin speaking in tongues, praising God. In the middle of the sermon, everybody does it. God's idea of decently in order might not be the same as the church down the street's idea of decently in order, which is show up, pay up, and shut up. How are we doing? All right, I'm getting a little feisty. I'm gonna watch it now. So the way, you could, the way that it, yeah, I wrote this down. Some churches are more afraid of the Holy Spirit showing up with gifts of the Spirit than they are the mark of the beast. It was early this morning when I wrote that. Just forgive me. It was just, it was a weak moment. Hadn't had breakfast. <clears throat> There's a way that it creeps into our lives today. It's very subtle. It's we, it, when they come to the kingdom of God, they hear the right message. The salvation by grace, it's free, you can't earn it. Come on in, Jesus accepts you just the way you are. And then they take you into a back room they say, okay, you got to read the Bible every day, got to go to church, here's a tithe envelope, you got to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. Salvation is this free gift. Now here's, a, here's the new old covenant. We give grace to the drunkard to the prostitute who are not born again. We tell them God loves them, He wants to help them, but let them get born and sin again. The, the very people that, who told God how much they love him are now condemning them to hell. That's not the gospel. We are not saved by grace than maintained by works. the false gospel creeps in and is perverting, twisting, changing, and distorting the gospel of Christ. Oh, I see. I'm saved by grace, but to keep God happy with me, I've got to be hungry enough and pray more and fast enough. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a good idea to read your Bible, give of your finances, fellowship with unbelievers, but you don't do that to get on God's good side. You're already on God's good side. Now let's go explore the kingdom together. I read the Bible because he's pleased with me and I want to see what's available to me by inheritance. Guys, it's a book of inheritance. Inheritance is you get what somebody else paid for. Do you guys realize the Bible is the only book that when you read it, the author shows up? You may secretly believe that you would be more acceptable to God if you could perform better. And you're deceived if you believe that. You will be no more accepted by God one thousand millennia from now, burning in His glory in heaven, than you are this very moment. If you are born again, believers are being influenced by this false gospel, and they secretly harbor this idea: If only I had more willpower. If only I could keep my promises to God more. If only then God would love me a little bit more. Growing up, week after week, I heard this, uh, at, you know, in, in church all the time. And here is the message of religion: You are not doing enough. You need to try harder. After hearing this, my heart wanted to please God. I would rededicate my life to God. I would promise him. This time would be different. The idea, God, accept me today based on my promise, and I'll pay you this week with my performance. Remember um, remember Popeye? uh, Remember his friend Wimpy? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. (laughs) Say, God, I'll gladly pay you if you'll just forgive me now. My flesh gets a little bit of buzz from it. My flesh feels good. Man, I made a promise to God. Look what I did. Look how committed I am. Look how dedicated I am. Surely he's going to accept me now with this level of dedication. How many times have you sat down with another believer who feels that God has rejected them because they failed in some area of life, some sin, some something, and um, the idea of God's happy with me when I'm doing good to keep the law, but when I don't, he rejects me, and he may want to discipline me harshly. So I would hear this illustration growing up, and um, this is probably the stupidest illustration I've ever heard. And so he was taught as truth. You guys ready for this? Maybe you've heard this illustration. There's the shepherd. And you know, and he goes after the one sheep, and and when he finds the sheep who wandered off, he takes the sheep and takes his staff and breaks the legs of the sheep, so that the sheep will wise for the sheep's own good, so that he doesn't wander off again. But you know, then he picks the sheep up and wears it like a scarf, and even though he's being disciplined, he gets the intimacy with the shepherd. What? What kind of abusive stupidity is this that's not in the Bible? It says he's a shepherd. It doesn't say he's the the break-the-leg shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't say the Lord is my abuser. He's my abusive, crazy, neurotic shepherd. Just because someone from the pulpit uses the word shepherd doesn't mean everything they say after that's in the Bible. So let's say you've blown it. You don't say, I better pray more, I better read the Bible more, I better do more. That's going to lead to discouragement and disaster. The way out is, Father, I'm feeling far from you, I messed up, I'm sorry, but I know that because of my covenant with you, I'm accepted and nothing will ever change that. I'm seated in heavenly places with you right now, even if I can't feel that, I know it's true. I love Romans 5, I have permanent access into your marvelous kindness. That's the place you start. I'm not saying we don't turn from sin and all those things, but the place that we stand on when we're turning from sin is I've got permanent access in your marvelous kindness. I may have changed, but you haven't changed. I use this illustration a lot. In the Old Testament, if someone had sin in their life, they brought a lamb to the priest as a sin offering, and the priest would inspect the lamb to see if the the sacrifice was acceptable. He never inspected the person. When you're coming to God, he's not looking at you to see if you are acceptable. He's looking at the lamb. That's why he made you one with his son so he could delight to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. If you're a believer, God is not dealing with you based on your performance. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' performance. The false gospel says you're accepted because of the blood of Jesus, but to stay on his good side, you need to perform. Mary and I heard from a friend recently, she went to a church, visited a church, and in this church, there was a leader in the church that stood up to give this testimony. I asked Jesus to heal me of this condition, and Jesus said no, or Jesus chose not to. I think it was Jesus chose not to. And when I asked the Lord why, he said, it's because I hadn't been faithful in my devotions. And I'm sure there was people in there going, "Mm -hmm, yeah, amen, you should have been more faithful in devotions. False gospel. Distorting, perverting, twisting the gospel of Christ. I got good news for you. God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He's not going to heal you because you're good. He's going to heal you because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we push our chips to the center of the table and bet it all on Jesus, what you did is enough, healing comes. Well, I prayed and it didn't work. Well, it ain't God's fault. I'm not trying to be mean. But the limitation is on the human side of the equation, not on the God side of the equation. I haven't found it helpful to get a whole bunch of blame on the human side of the equation. But just ask for the grace to see Jesus afresh. I was—I uh, was, Boy, I'm not trying to name drop, but I was talking with Andrew Womack. I know that just sounds like the biggest name drop in the world. And he was talking about how he, um, was, uh, he was with Oral Roberts before he passed away. There was a group of people, and they each got to ask him a question. And um, I forget the question Andrew asked him, and uh, I think Andrew said, hey, would you pray for me or something like that, that uh, I could walk into greater level of miracles? And he said, the, uh, he said, Oral Roberts said, well, it won't work for you. And he said, well, why won't it work for you? And he said, because you're a pastor of a church. And then he's like, no, I'm not a pastor of a church. I travel around. And he said, okay, it'll work for you. And so I said, Andrew, why won't it work for a pastor of a church? He said, because most of the time pastors, they have to see the people that they pray for who don't get healed instantly. So they change the gospel to fit the narrative. And they start to blame God, and he's sovereign, and who knows, his ways are mysterious. Guys, it may ease the pain of the pastor on the short term or the person receiving it, but ultimately, how could you serve a God who may put sickness on you to teach you a lesson? Trying to tell you the truth here. So, eh, how are we going to do this? What is Holiness. Holiness is not outward or exterior. Holiness is not closing our eye when an attractive woman walks by or not looking in the mirror on the Sabbath. Holiness is loving like God loved. So when I love God in response to his love, when I love God in response to his love, his love begins to fill me and the ways that I act are consistent with his character and God calls that holy. See, human love, you love because of how the person is and how they respond. They deserve my love, they're lovely and so it's like because of the way they are, I'm going to love them. God loves because of the way he is, not because of the way you are. Okay? We can't get those things confused. So I'm circling in for a landing here, and then I'm going to give you a little quiz on whether or not we have legalism. Are we okay? got to love pop quizzes. do I mean, you just love those in school? Pop quizzes? Oh, yes. Praise God. All right. Let me give you the definition again of good news. The gospel, the good news, is the call to rest, to receive the free, undeserved gift that God has given us in Christ. There's nothing man can do to earn salvation from his past or his present acceptance and walk with God. From beginning to end, it's the grace of God. And the body of truth that proclaims this good news is called the gospel. And news, by definition, is talking about something that has already happened, not something that you must now do. All that's been done for you to live in perfect union with Jesus has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And the heart of the Christian life is to look at Jesus and all that he's done and say, thank you. That's what faith looks like. Faith does not move the hand of God. Faith responds to him moving in Jesus and says, thank you. That's the gospel. All right, closing. So you guys remember uh, Jeff uh, Foxworthy used to do those redneck jokes. You might be a redneck if, you know, possum's the other white meat or whatever, you know. Some of you, that's your big takeaway. That po- that, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Possum has always been the other white meat. What are you talking about? Yeah. You put it on a smoker, you can make anything taste good. At least that's what Matt and Ray told me. All right. All right, you might be a legalist if. Are you guys ready? Some of these might not be as funny as the Jeff Foxworthy joke. Okay, like we're all smiling and everything. Okay, some of these are going to cut. All right, hurry, here we go. <laughs> I can't. I, I, that's the worst setup now. All right. Again, not trying to be mean. What I'm trying to do is expose it so we can put it with the grace of God and chop it off. Okay, this isn't like, oh, I'm going to get you now and step on your toes. No, no, no. We've all got these tendencies, and we want to expose them to the grace of God so we can get rid of them. Yep. All right, you might be a legalist if your tendency is to be looking for what is wrong in other people's lives in order to judge them instead of looking for what's right in order to encourage them. Okay, people do this all the time with other ministries. Well, I really like Stephen Furtick, but this one thing that he said I don't like. Like, seriously, why don't you focus on the 95% of the things you do like rather than the 5%. In a culture of honor, we call out the gold and not the dirt. Why not leave that other part off? And when someone says stuff like that, I want to say, well, thank God we've got the heresy police like you, and we can all raise up the standard to your theology because we know it's perfect. (laughs) Seriously? Legalists feel good when they can identify other people's errors because it reinforces their feelings of superiority. They actually think of themselves as more spiritual, more godly, and more favored of God. All right. Check yourself on that one. You might be a legalist if how are we doing? <laughs> you never acknowledge your own faults and failures even though you might be quick in identifying the small and real rare failures of others. Some people they got such a fear of letting anyone know that they're less than perfect. What drives this spirit? It's the belief that one's own efforts and achievements merit acceptance with God and approval from men. So instead of resting on Christ's achievements, confident in what he's done, they're going to double their efforts and take pride in what they've done and only show you those parts. How are we doing? You might be a legalist if you nitpick and judge others' beliefs and behaviors that differ from your tradition even though it's not commanded in the Bible. like, Jim, could you give me some examples? I'm so glad you asked. What, you actually drink alcohol? You attend movies? You mow your lawn on Sunday? You don't wear a coat and tie to church on Sunday? You send your kids to public school? You don't hold the exact same end time views that I have down to the last detail? I've got my eye on you. I've noticed that you read a different version of the Bible rather than the one we approve of. You don't believe everything I do? Oh my, you have a tattoo? I also notice you don't always close your eyes when you pray. You tithe out of your net income rather than your gross income? What, you don't even tithe? You drive a nicer car than me, live in a nicer home than me? You must be greedy and not care about people. Because we all know that your standard of living is the perfect, and anything above that must be greedy. I got some good news for you. The pressure's off. You don't have to be the prosperity police. You don't get to judge another man's harvest when you know what kind of seed they planted. Last one, you might be a legalist if you believe you need to do something to receive the blessings of God. One of the most common questions I get asked is, what do I need to do to insert the phrase blessing? What do I need to do to get God to prosper me? What do I need to do to get God to heal me? What do I need to do to receive the blessings of God? It's usually followed by an explanation. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I've been confessing the word. I've been paying my tithes, yet I don't seem to be getting my prayers answered. In that question and explanation, it lies the root of the problem. They fall into the trap of linking God's response to their performance. They have not properly understood the balance of grace and faith. Guys, grace by definition means unmerited, unearned favor. Grace is God's part before you ever had a need, he provided it. There's nothing you can do to influence he he already said yes. Faith is our response to what God has done. It's not our chance to earn God's favor he already paid for it before you were good or bad. <laughs> Faith is our positive response to God's grace. So here's the good news, guys. There is, if you're a believer, there is no distance and no separation between you and God. You can't even put a piece of paper between you and God because the Trinity has come to live inside of you. If you want to know the Trinity's address, it's y'all. It says the Holy Spirit has become one with your spirit. Jesus said, my father, Jesus said, me and my father, that's Jesus and father, two other parts part of our Trinity, are coming to make our home in you. Yeah. You couldn't get, listen, you can't get any more close to God, otherwise the Trinity would be in danger of becoming the Quaternary, whatever the next thing would be. So... Um, Micah gave me a word, a word today uh, out of Colossians that uh, he felt like this was a word for the church about putting some things to death and uh, to put some things on the chopping block. And so I think there's some beliefs that maybe we need to do. And guys, we, guys, I, I fall into these things. I'm not coming here with fingers pointed. I'm coming here to expose the light so we can all put these things on the chopping block and say, you know what, maybe I've been a little critical. And there's that legalistic superiority thing. Maybe I've been thinking I've got to do something to please God. So I want us to just take a moment and um, I would imagine something hit you somewhere in this message and um, let's just put it on the chopping block and allow the grace of God to say, you know what, you don't have to carry that mess anymore. You don't have to carry that heavy burden. Remember, his yoke is easy. Yoke was uh, something that they put, a a wooden weight that they put on an animal's neck and uh, the secret of the easy yoke is let Jesus do all the hard work. (laughs) His yoke is easy. Why? Because he's doing all the pulling. So let's just, uh, let's just take a few moments and uh, just put these things up to the light of God and say, God, I'm receiving your grace. Uh, God, I, I see that you paid for me to walk free of these things, free of performance, free of, the, free of the superiority. And when you see how good he is, that grace of God makes it wash away. So let's take about 30 seconds on that. Let's stand for closing prayer. My pastor is Cletty Keith. He's the hungriest man I've ever met. He's just an awesome man of God. I love him. And one of the things he does, he makes up these funny songs. And uh, one of them was, um, I'm pushing my chips to the center of the table, betting it all on God. And uh, I can't sing it like he does. He's got several verses. It's hilarious and powerful all at the same time. But uh, as, as we're... As we're kind of, as we are wrapping up here, um, I imagine everyone in here has got something that they're wanting God to do on their behalf. Um, whether it's receiving a healing an answer to prayer, something for the family, protection, you know, prospering you, whatever it might be. And uh, I want us to just maybe, as an act, to uh, push our shifts to the center of the table. Whatever that thing is, uh, it's it's not going to come because your, if you know, your finances aren't going to be blessed because of your financial wizardry. Or anything like that. It's because he already said yes. There's things we can do to cooperate with that. I'm not saying that, but I want us to just reinforce in our minds that it's because of what Jesus has done. Again, it doesn't mean we're going to sit in the couch and everything's going to just fly into our mailbox and, and be all right, but the blessing starts with him, not with us. Okay? So, uh, Lord, as we, uh, as, we, as we close this out, we are so thankful for the finished work of Jesus. When you said, it is finished. It was completely complete. You didn't leave anything out for us to walk in life and godliness and authority. And so, Lord, why don't you guys just get your chips ready here. And so, Lord, we recognize that our confidence and our reliance is in you for wisdom, for our kids, for answers at work, for prosperity in our finances, for healing in our bodies. Let's just go ahead. We push those chips to the center of the table. We are putting all of our trust and what you have done, and we say, it is enough. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, before we-